The scripture union material, Back to School with God, was in fact written by uh, Karen. And uh, I want to to say thank you to her for that and say that I am indebted to her uh, for the framework uh, and the themes and some of the insights produced. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. The incident in John 21 and verses 1 to 14, which I invite you to turn to now, takes place in the aftermath of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had died and risen from the grave. He was alive. In the 1970s, Helen and I and others, now in Park, were part of a fellowship at St. Margaret's Church in Cross. Another of our friends there used to sing a song called Jesus is Alive Today. It had real immediacy, a vibrancy. Jesus is alive today, the lyrics went. He's alive today, he's alive today. It strikingly conveyed the reality of the resurrection, the reality that Jesus is alive today, the reality that God in Jesus Christ is with us. As has been said more than once already, our focus today is back to school with God. And of course, that will apply more directly to some than others in our fellowship. Though I suspect that most of us, despite our school days being long over, have, in one way or another, some connection with school. But in the reality of the resurrection, it can be back anywhere with God. Back to the house, back to work, back to the main street, with God and Jesus Christ in all his risen power. This is the reality of the resurrection. Do we grasp this? Do we grasp this awesome reality or have become too blasé with this the most miraculous of all miracles? In chapter 20, John has told us how Jesus appeared to Mary. In the preceding chapter, he's told us how he appeared to Mary, how Jesus appeared to Mary, how he appeared to Peter and the other disciples, how he appeared to Thomas. He has risen to be with them every step of the way. He has risen to be with us every step of the way, in school or any other place. Should that biblical truth not affect us all in the places we go to tomorrow? whether in person or online. For no matter where we go, Jesus is with us. Indeed, he goes before us, like the good shepherd going before his sheep, which is, of course, what he did in the aftermath of his resurrection. He went ahead of his disciples. In Mark's gospel, the women are told to tell the disciples that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They would see him again. But when and how? Their world had been turned 
upside down. The trauma of recent days, incredible. And now, the waiting game. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And as we know from the Gospels, waiting wasn't Peter's forty. You can just imagine him pacing up and down, wanting to be doing something, wanting to be doing anything, wanting some kind of release, and in the end saying, I've had enough of this. I'm going out to fish. We begin with the boat before moving on to the breakfast. The boat. As the Gospels tell us, Peter had been a fisherman before he met Jesus. Fishing had been his profession, his livelihood. The boat, the place where he would have learned his trade. A place he was comfortable. A place that was familiar to him. A place where he would have been with others, as he was on this occasion. We are told in the passage that Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were with Peter in the boat. They said they would go with him. So they all got into the boat and pushed off from the shore, all in the same boat, known to one another, close to one another, knowing the blessing of being together, the wonderful blessing of friendship. Is that not one of the things we miss most during lockdown? The joy of being close to those we know and love. The joy of friendship. Last week at Mega, some of the young people played football over the road. And as they came back watching them, the joy of their friendship was almost palpable. Friends from school. Something that makes school great. A good place to be. Back to the boat. A good place to be for Peter. A familiar place. But I wonder if it was familiar for everyone. We've said that Peter was a fisherman, and we know that James and John were, but what of the others? The boat, particularly at night, would not have been a familiar place as far as they were concerned. And given Thomas's nature revealed in the gospel, I wonder how he was feeling. Pessimistic, doubting the outcome, apprehensive. Our young people will go back to school with a mixture of feelings, ranging from apprehension to anticipation, and perhaps even a combination of both. Our prayers can make such a difference to these young people as they go, such a difference to their experience of school. On good days and not so good days, and on really challenging days. By our prayers, we can ensure that back to school with God can be a living reality for our young people. So I would encourage you, I would encourage you 
to make it a priority, to pray for our young people at school. We can do nothing better for them. And also, of course, for teachers and all others directly or indirectly involved. If we have gained anything as we've listened to the news and read reports, we've understood the incredible pressures that there are in school. How difficult it can be. We can be with our young people. We can be with those who are involved in school by our prayers. So out into the darkness sailed Simon Peter and his friends. It was not unusual to, to fish by night. The catch could be sold in the morning. And Peter would have known the Sea of Galilee like the back of his hand, where the best fishing was. There would have been little that Peter did not know about fishing on Lake Galilee. But as morning came, they had nothing to show for all their effort. Not a single sprat. Their net was empty. So how were the disciples feeling as daylight came? Tired? Disappointed, thinking, well, that was a right waste of time. Perhaps, as Karen alluded to, maybe even angry. Typical Peter taking us out again in another well good goose chase. Maybe we can all think of times when we put a lot of effort into something and it didn't quite work out. I'm sure we can identify with Peter and the others in the boat as they headed back to the shore at the end of a frustrating and dispiriting evening. However, As they approached the shore, they saw a figure on the beach. It was Jesus. But they didn't realize it was him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. But when Jesus told them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some, they immediately responded. Why? For Peter was there an echo of another time when he had stood in a boat and heard a voice saying, Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your net for a search, for a catch rather. We don't know that. What we do know is that the disciples did exactly as Jesus said. They followed his instructions. Something caused them to obey. Despite undoubted weariness, they do as Jesus tells them. They do things his way. They rely on him and know great abundance. A harvest from the sea. A harvest of fish, fruit of the sea. Without Jesus, nothing. With Jesus, great abundance. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, says John 15 and verse 5. Apart from Jesus, we will, in spiritual terms, ultimately be unable to do anything. Apart from Jesus, only failure. Like Peter, we can be, as he thought, in the right place, at the right time, with the right skills. And we will catch nothing. With Jesus, listening to him, obeying him, it's an entirely different kettle of fish. It was for the disciples. Things worked out better than they could have possibly imagined. Because they trusted Jesus. Because they obeyed Jesus. As he called to the disciples in the boat, he calls to us. Undoubtedly, we often feel weary. Perhaps even more so at this time, having sought to cope with COVID over all these months. In the darkness, in the boat, the disciples were like that. They knew failure. In these days, failure is familiar. But still, his voice comes over the unpromising waters that surround us as they surrounded the disciples that night on Galilee. Still, his voice comes over the water. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Will we listen to his voice? Will we obey? Will we be what we're called to be? Fishers of men and women. Will we put down our net in Uddingston where he tells us to? And catch some? And perhaps more than we imagine. Back on Galilee, that was a disciple's experience. Suddenly there were so many fish in the net, it was full to bursting. So full, it could not be hauled in. How were the disciples feeling now? I wonder if Peter was thinking back to his first encounter with Jesus in a boat. Another time when another fruitless night had been turned spectacularly on its head and an amazing catch of fish brought in. 
Peter had tried and failed. Jesus had made it possible. Recall the words of Psalm 33 with which we begun. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He is our help. We can rely on him. God with us in Jesus Christ in all the ups and downs of our life. The living Lord's living presence is with us. Jesus is alive today. Is alive today. Is alive today. He is with us. In the boat and at the breakfast. There were so many fish. Brought in. Jesus had abundantly provided. And that wasn't the first time the disciples could think of something like that. He had abundantly provided when he had taken five loaves and two fish and multiplied them to feed 5,000 people. At the end of that miracle, there was 12 baskets of leftovers. Once again here, Jesus provides abundantly, provides generously, provides miraculously. A miracle that demonstrated God's lavish provision, his lavish love, his love for Peter and the others, the love of God that is such a key theme in John's gospel. The love of God, for God so loved the world, so loved everyone. The love of God for Peter, the love of God for you, the love of God for me. I wonder if we have been able to recognize God's love for us in the past year. In the aftermath of being in hospital for an operation earlier in the year, I received many cards, gifts, and most importantly, the assurance of the prayers of God's people. Something that made all the difference. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Others within the fellowship will have known similar care. And in this care for one another, we see God at work. In such actions, we see his loving care. And again, these things remind us of what we read of God earlier in Psalm 33. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And that is to be our focus. God is to be our focus. God and Jesus Christ. Simon Peter's focus was not on the huge catch of fish, as miraculous as it was. It was taken up with the figure on the beach. When Peter heard his friend John shout, it is his Lord, he put on his cloak and jumped out of the boat. It is such a great image of eagerness to get to Jesus Peter cannot wait to be with Jesus, cannot wait to draw near him, cannot wait to enter his presence in recognition of all the blessing such fellowship will afford. The wondrous blessing of being a follower of Jesus. A blessing, of course, afforded to all disciples now and then. Cold, hungry, and tired, the disciples saw Jesus and saw that he had prepared breakfast for them. They saw a fire burning. 
a fire burning there. Coals with fish in it and some bread. Tangible expressions of the goodness and kindness of Christ. The kindness of the shepherd for his sheep. The good shepherd who says to them, come and have breakfast. Jesus could have cooked the meal and left it for them to enjoy. But no. He didn't drop the food. Then leave them. Like a domino pizza takeaway driver might do. Other providers that are available. No. Jesus sat down with them. He had come to be with them. Come to chat. Come to listen. Come to enjoy the simple yet profound thing that is Christian fellowship. Those who share the love of Christ together. Carol Barth, the world-renowned theologian who authored Church Dogmatics, all 14 volumes of them, was asked what was the most important thing that he had discovered in his Christian thinking. He replied, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. The love of God in Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater. There is nothing better. Come, Jesus says. Come and have breakfast. Come and enjoy my company. Come and know my love. Come and be fed and nourished by it. Come and be fed by me. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. He took the bread. An echo of another time when he took the bread at the Last Supper on the night before he died when he had a meal together with his disciples. A meal that was more than a meal. It was a banquet, a spiritual feast, bread that was more than bread, bread that symbolized the promises of heaven broken open and set free into all the earth, broken bread that spoke of forgiveness and grace and embraced and redeemed the world. The love of Christ embraces and in dreams and redeems the world. Bread for the broken, that they might be made whole. The breakfast, eating with Jesus. How much can we receive from such spiritual sustenance? How much can we receive from the bread of life? How much grace, how much goodness... How much can the risen Lord God, all the fullness of God's presence, bring? For that, of course, is the mind-boggling reality presented to us at the breakfast on the beach. In John 21, the living God, the risen Christ, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, stands among mere mortals. 
The one they knew was the Lord, but dare not ask. The one who in glorious, glorious grace wants to be with them, to be in their presence, that they might enjoy his presence. He wants the same for us. He gives us the same invitation to come to him and enjoy his presence. Not to rush away, not to say other things are more important. How could anything be more important than Jesus? That Jesus presented to us in the Gospels. The loving presence of Jesus, God with us, no matter where we go, that is the promise. A promise of God to each and every one of us. But particularly in the context of this service, a promise to every one of our young people and adults who in whatever capacity will be going back to school, back to school with God. May they do so with our daily prayers, that they may enjoy the presence of Jesus, the presence of the living Lord, the presence of God in all his loving fullness with them. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for our service this morning. You are faithful, loving, generous, and kind. You are faithful even when things don't always turn out as we would want or imagine. Thank you for your incredible love. Forgive us when we doubt your goodness and wander from you. For times we think we know best and try to do things without you. We are sorry, Lord. In our disappointments, failings, fears and worries, draw us close to you. We remember particularly today, Father, our local schools. We pray that your good hand would be upon them. We pray that there would be places always open to Christian influence. We ask, Father, that you would watch over and keep all who know you and love you in these places. We pray that they would know your reality with them as they go back. And as we pray that, we remember that your promise to us is to be with us wherever we are, wherever we are going to. May we hold that promise, Father, close to us in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.